0: Before we get started, I want to point out that these conversations took place over the span of a few months and are not necessarily presented in the order they were recorded. Therefore we may touch on some, but not all, current events. In addition, when we say women, we mean all women. Although our dialogue often generalizes women into one social group with shared experiences, we want to specifically express our support for women in minorities of race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, etc., and for those using their voices for positive change.
1: Hello, hello.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Sarah DeForest. And I'm Victoria Banks. This
1: is The Table, a podcast by and about women in the entertainment industry. Welcome to episode 13, a conversation with music industry mogul Carl Kornmeier and songwriter artist Emma Brooke. So pull up a chair and get nice and comfy because
0: everyone deserves a seat at The, the, the Table. table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think and don't let him Stop you, stop. don't don't let him stop. stop, don't let him stop. Don't, don't let him Carl Cornmyer is the founding member, principal owner, and CEO of LBK Entertainment. The company's primary business is music publishing, and it also provides music-related consulting to technology companies, film and television companies, artists, and songwriters. Kornmeier has also overseen mergers, acquisitions, and divestitures all over the world in a variety of entertainment industries. He's the former president of music, media, and entertainment for Gaylord Entertainment Company, which included his leadership of properties such as the Nashville Network, Country Music Television, the Grand Ole Opry. Acuff Rose Music Publishing, Word Records, Artist Management, the Gaylord TV Station Group, and WSM Radio Station Group, as well as Gaylord Production Company, including TV, film, and more. His successes include the development, growth, expansion, and management of Gaylord's music and entertainment properties, including building six international cable music networks that operated in 20 countries. His business focus is now completely directed toward the continued development and growth of LBK's team, operations, and clients. Emma Brooke is a singer-songwriter from Northern New Jersey. Since moving to Nashville in September of 2014, she's collaborated with artists across all different genres. With a focus on lyrics, Emma is passionate about documenting the true essence of experiences and moments from her life and the lives of her collaborators. She brings focus for LBK to mainstream country in addition to her flair for pop writing. Emma's dual genre writing skills create crossover initiatives that set her apart from most writers. We are so thrilled to present Carl Kornmeier and Emma Brooke. All right, guys, we have Carl Kornmeier and Emma Brooke here tonight. It's our first ever double guest podcast, so we're very excited. Um, And Carl and Emma are super unique. They're two good friends of mine. Um, but they are also publisher and writer artist duo and we're really excited to talk to them about their relationship and how they function and how they got together all that good stuff but thank you guys for joining us we appreciate it
2: you're welcome Thanks for having thank us
0: yeah they heard a little bit of bio from both of you guys but I want to hear from your mouths how you initially, got started in the industry just a little short bullet point of how you got started in music
2: how i got started uh in 1978 i went to work for a company that we would all uh, now most know as gaylord entertainment back then it was known as wsm but the company owned uh, Channel 4, NBC TV station, on WSM Radio, the Grand Ole Opry, lots of things. And I got myself a job there. And on my very first day of work, my boss, very creative guy named Tom Griscom, and his boss, Bud Wendell, told this rookie little kid, you got to help me figure out how to get country music on cable TV which little did I know what that meant uh, or any of the ramifications thereof. But for four years, I set about trying to figure out how to start a cable TV network. At that moment in time, there was only one cable TV network. Four years later, when we actually went on the air, we were the eighth network ever on the air called the Nashville Network and i learned with a fire hose a lot about country music between those dates because i knew little or nothing uh if you had an eight hour podcast i could tell you stories of barbara mandrell yelling at me for not knowing who she was and things like that
3: and following garth brooks to brazil on a crop duster plane
2: yes uh we ran out of seats on the charter plane so i've lassoed a crop duster and made my way across the country to where everybody was supposed to be.
0: And they weren't there, and he <laughs> wandered the night for a little bit until someone picked him up on the side of the road. We love it.
2: <laughs> I have too many long stories, but all of that started me in, I'll call it the business of music. And I guess for well, it'd be 40 years, I've been in the business of music. Uh, somewhere along the way, I was able to become more of the support for the people that actually make music. And of all the things that I got to do and touch, TV, radio, film production, the Grand Ole Opry, record labels so on and so forth Uh, I realized when I retired if that's a good word from I'll never retire but when I left Gaylord Entertainment trying to figure out what is it I like to do what am I good at and basically building things so I set about trying to build things that support the people that make music which largely oh, since we have i'm talking to three songwriters not just because of that but i'll say songwriters basically but as you all know there's a lot of elements to the business and you know i love working with all of them i've done artist management and festivals and i could go on and on And i've just been really lucky to be able to touch all the pieces and be able to know the ones i really like and really want to spend my time with, which is songwriters. The creation of music fascinates me. Uh I did play an instrument in high school thinking I would become a sessions musician. I went to one session and realized I'm out of my league. (laughs) You know? Now if I'd have been in some town, city, whatever other than Nashville, Tennessee, I might have thought I could continue to pursue that, you know. And I know there's a lot of music centers in the world. Nashville is not the only one. I've been, part of my career, I've been lucky enough to have offices on five different continents. So I've had enough time around the world to know what Nashville is, as opposed to it's the only place I've ever been. Uh, so I've got a real appreciation for the music community in Nashville and everywhere else. But Nashville and songwriters are meant to be together. Music publishing, songwriters is clearly where my passion lies. You know, I wish I could sing. I offer Emma all the time to play to sing backup for her. she And
3: I tell him, yeah, back far away from the mic. <laughs> that's how you can sing backup for me. <laughs>
0: And you really are one of the best cultivators of community and support that I've ever come across. Um, And personally, I'm a little biased, but I think one of the best decisions you ever made was signing Emma Brooke.
1: Ooh. Um,
0: (laughs) The only compliment you'll get from me this year.
3: I'm happy about it.
0: Emma, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into music and then we'll go into how you guys ended up partnering.
3: So I've sang my whole life, not in public. I had horrible stage fright, but I was in choir growing up. I got forced to do a solo in eighth grade. I had an out-of-body experience. I was so nervous, but I just felt deep down, like, this is your thing. And so I pushed through that, and then really my entry point to the business was my hometown mentor, Zook Smith. I'm from West Milford, New Jersey. And she set me up with the first producers I ever worked with, and she brought me to music business seminars where I networked with people, kind of saw more of the parts of the business. They would have publisher panels and people on the record label side of things. So she was really my entry point to the business side.
0: Awesome, and how you've been in Nashville six years. Yeah. What's your favorite part? How did you grow as a songwriter? And then how did you guys get connected? Well, uh, when I was still living in
3: New Jersey, You know, there's not a lot of co-writing going on up there, at least that I was exposed to, and I was kind of up in the country minding my business. So there could be a scene that I'm not aware of, but uh, I really didn't collaborate until I moved here. So definitely that was a growing point for me. And I worked at a daycare part-time, but I was co-writing also, like, throughout that whole thing. And then I was a nanny. And then after that... uh, job ended for me I was like you know I'm a songwriter I'm not getting another job and at that point I knew Carl but um I mean six months after that I'm jumping ahead but uh that's when we entered like negotiating and they told me that they were interested in me
0: and Carl from your perspective what was it about Emma that made her stand out and be someone that you really wanted to fully back and develop and grow a career
2: with well I I got the opportunity when when Emma first showed up here somebody introduced us to each other and she had a business uh project that she wanted some help on and some advice and I said, okay, because my creative director, Mariah Topol, and I spend quite a bit of time, I'll I'll use the word mentoring, I'll use that loosely, often we're learning, I'm learning as much from the songwriters as they might be from me, but I got to spend quite a bit of time with Emma uh, time-wise, I guess that probably went on for months, maybe a year, I, I don't remember.
3: Almost a year, yeah.
2: But I got to know Emma Brooke a little bit from a strong-minded, opinionated, hard-working. She worked at her business hard. She took it serious. I got to recognize that in her, which often sitting with a, a new songwriter that I haven't known before, I'm listening to three songs and getting maybe in between three songs the rest of an hour to try to get to know them and see what I can gleam from the conversation. With Emma, I got to know her more and got to recognize the, the spirit in her. And when that business uh, project was completed instead of never seeing her again. She said, so can I play some music for you all? Which I'll tell a story that Emma knows cause she corrected this story one day I was telling And I said the first time she played three songs for me and Mariah, I acted really cool. Like, yeah, that was okay. Emma said no no I kept notes of that day and like five times I think you told me I said whoa that was really good I thought I was yeah
3: I had a gratitude journal at that point so I wrote everything down from that day and he so that's the only reason I felt confident to argue with him like I have written proof and I don't think that day my memory would be that blurry already so yeah I wrote down that like five times he said You got great stuff. He still said it very calm, but the fact that he said it five times gave away a little something more than he thought.
1: So, so Emma, from your perspective, what was it about Carl and and the team there that made you feel like it was the right match for you?
3: Well, first of all, they were so generous to me um, with that business project that we mentioned, um, you know, investing a lot of time with me uh, and they, had no skin in the game, um, so just seeing their heart for songwriters in that experience obviously made me pay attention. but then also throughout that process um, as you know they were giving me advice on things, uh, they were walking me through different options of how to move forward, and sometimes I would say, Yeah, they would say all the options and then I would still choose what felt authentic to me and the fact that they were gracious when I maybe didn't take all of their advice. um, That made me feel really safe because it wasn't like um, there was pressure or anything. They really wanted to serve a songwriter and uh, and trusted what I felt was best so it was just like a lot of support but like really no strings attached and that made me trust
0: them and they meant that. I love that you talked about that and Carl hit on a little bit but I want to highlight a part of your relationship that's probably my favorite which is as Emma describes it not leading the witness. Uh, I feel like LBK has that entire mentality of they want their writers and artists to make their own decision and they're there for support and input but they want to know what you think and how you feel and i think that creates a culture of trust and exchanging ideas and also i've known them to be so supportive of each individual creative's personality and with emma we joke about it, but she loves to say no. And that's what one of my favorite things. It's one of the things that in our first write I didn't know how to handle because I've never encountered someone that says no so nicely, but so firmly.
3: Yes, gentleness is my goal, but also so is clarity. And um, yeah, and also, yeah, it's not that I like saying no, but I just, I do have an inner compass inside of me that will just you know that I, I try to honor and I think like early on in my dynamic with Carl and Mariah when I would when they were helping me walk through the different options and I wouldn't take their suggestion in its entirety you know saying no to them these people who were generously investing their time in me being authentic is definitely a value I have and then like upsetting people and getting rejected at times is just like a part of that so i risked not pleasing carl when i would say no about things when i hardly knew him and they just like honored that and that yeah that's a big deal for me and for the record carl is the one who says don't lead the witness like three times a week I'm just the the parrot bird repeating what he says but I love the mentality of that because like you said Sarah it's just it relieves any pressure that might be there and it's just like they really want to know what you authentically think they don't want you to just agree with them Carl if that's what you want you're doing a horrible job setting that
0: environment up (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a big thing for women in the industry. Historically, we've always been told what to do and how to sing and what songs to choose and and all of that stuff. So having an environment that allows you and encourages you to say no and find other options and then also asks you what you want and how you want it is a really big deal. It's my favorite thing about how you guys function.
1: Emma, I was just curious, what is in your background that has given you such confidence in claiming your boundaries? Do you have a a role model that encouraged you to do that? Is is, is there something in your upbringing that made that happen for you? Because I think a lot of women struggle with that.
3: I love that question. Um, It's just like, I couldn't articulate it when I was younger, but I kind of mentioned it earlier, just like this inner compass of just knowing what's what feels right to me and i've been in situations where i would communicate a boundary and it wasn't honored and like i've just i've learned what that looks like so i don't waste my time trying to make someone understand me and i've also part of that is just trusting that the people who will respect me will show up um So it's been a trust thing. And it's always felt better to choose myself and disappoint other people instead of pleasing other people and
0: like losing myself. Carl, from your perspective, was that kind of culture a conscious choice, something that you really cultivated? Or was it just naturally how you functioned and the people who were on that level showed up and or you brought them in?
2: uh try to think up a short answer to this i was lucky enough to be mentored for years 17 years to be exact with bud wendell and tom Griscom, who i'll say were out of my league They were people that thought up like they were the ones that sent their TV engineer to Washington and taught them, taught NASA how to bounce a signal off the moon so they could figure out how to put metal mirrors in the sky called satellites so there could be a signal bounced up and down that could be cable TV. But uh, I say all that to put in perspective, I grew up with two guys that were out of my league and they let me have a voice. And if uh, Tom has passed away, (laughs) if, if Bud hears this conversation, he might have something to say of how painful it was to give me the opportunity to have a voice. I don't know how painful it was. You know, when I was a little younger, Let's go all the way back to like 16. I was a normal 16 year old guy that knew everything, of course. I don't know how long it took me to grow out of that to realize I don't know everything. So I don't know how I was to deal with back then. But those two guys dealt with me and gave me opportunity after opportunity sometimes it felt painful to me. I I tried to get them to let me buy country music television because we didn't start country music television, but I wanted country music television and they would not let me buy it. And after the third after two attempts, the third attempt, Bud argued with me about why he was leery of that and I told him why I wanted it, and the goals matched up a little better. And dwella, we got to go buy CMT and really, and so I grew up appreciating that people would listen to my voice. And then I'll couple that with when I'm talking to a songwriter, a new, a, a young songwriter, or a Hall of Fame songwriter. We have a Hall of Fame songwriter on our roster, and talking to that person or talking to Emma Brooke the first time I met her, I'm looking to know if these people have something to say. Now... Do they know how to say it? Do they know how to put it to rhyme and rhythm and melodies? And that's a different point and all important, but the first thing's usually trying to get a feel of if this person has something to say. And I'll I'll use the phrase, if that's true, and it is true, there's no other way to treat people. If they have something to say and I'm not going to listen, it's like, that doesn't make any sense. And I do a lot of things that don't make any sense. But at least trying to do the things that lead in the right direction. So I want to know what a songwriter has to say. That's what I'm looking for every time they bring a song in and say, listen to this. So in between the presentation of a new song, there is no other MO other than to listen to what they have to say. You know, and it's the same with my... My partners, my staff, Mariah Topol is my creative director, she's also a partner here, and I want to know what she has to say. I'm never the smartest person, I never consider myself the smartest person in the room. I, I intend to be the hardest working person in the room. I can control that. I can't control my intelligence level, it's like God. God gave me some of that and you know, he was on vacation part of that time. (laughs) But I will be the hardest working person. And some of that hard work needs to be listening to people, especially people that I'm investing in time, money, energy, their career, my career. There's no reason not to listen to them.
0: I think that's a perfect place to get into the question of, diversity because you've described it on a couple different levels um with your writers everyone has a super unique voice you've got different genres on the roster Um, and you also have a lot of diversity on your team you've got a lot of women it's pretty well shaken out and um, how do you guys go about that and especially because you've had such a long diverse career yourself how have you seen diversity in the music business especially when it comes to women in country music
2: well I'll sort of give you two answers to that one is anytime I'm exploring adding to the team be that the staff or the writer roster, et cetera. I'm always looking for the brightest, hardest working people. I don't care if they're male or female. I'm looking for the brightest people that could have a voice, and not, not just as a songwriter, but in the business. Uh, There's no saying, it's not my saying, I just adopted it because I love it. When two people in business always agree, one of them is not necessary. So, I am a guy. I don't need a bunch of guys around me that'll say the same thing I do. I'd rather have guys around me that'll argue with me. And the same with women.
3: And he has women who argue with him, I'll tell you.
2: Uh, they do in fact I'll I'll skip the name but one of them asked me one day are you ever sorry you empowered me to speak my mind I said yes absolutely (laughs) of course I'm sometimes sorry not not for long just for a moment you know I, I am human I like people agreeing with me but not about real stuff if, you know, if I have the right idea, that would be good if somebody acknowledges that. If I have a half-baked idea, it would be good if somebody has the other half for me. That as often as not, and actually probably more often than not, is a female. And I, I love strong-minded people. I guess I'll add, I don't know if this will make any sense, but I've spent my whole life, all those things you read on my resume and all that stuff, yeah, often I was the head person, and but I worked in the ditch. I built stuff, that's what I do. And the people that are working in the ditch, doing the work, making it work, are often women. I know over history, not just in the music business everywhere, but let's I'll stick with the music business. Don't get the recognition, don't get the acclaim for what part, what role they they brought to the table.
1: Carl, you have a particularly interesting perspective having been in the business for as long as you have. You've been through so many different phases, so to speak, of, of the music business in, in Nashville. And what have you seen that have been some of the biggest changes in the industry over the time that you've been in it? And, and in particular for women, but you can talk about general changes as well, if you want to.
2: Where I've seen the business change in my simple version I think this goes back to when building a cable TV network, what was it? It was basically a pipeline. What we aired, the content, is the king and queen on the block. I've seen the pipelines change over and over and over, from broadcast TV in that scenario to cable TV, to Netflix and streaming. All that's pipeline. It's all different. But the content's still the main thing. So while everything has changed dramatically, the the real crux of it has stayed the same. And the same with music. Whether me as a consumer get my music off of Spotify or off of a vinyl disc, Spotify and the vinyl disc or the pipeline. What song is on there? What does it say to me as a human being? What does it mean to me? Do I feel something? Do, those emotions aren't about the pipeline. They're about how it's delivered. And I'll say we, the industry, fight it all the time. And we're fighting pipelines. And it's like just makes me want to slap myself in the head is use the pipelines use technology use whatever you know when you ask about how has it changed for women i'll i'll talk about country for a minute over my time and all this i've seen women be the forefront and i've seen women be 10 percent of the playlist which unfortunately is current. Uh, but there was a time in the 90s when Martina and Faith and women owned everything. Uh, Mary Chapin Carpenter opening the CMA award show with opening at, the song Opening Act, which was brilliant. It was remarkable uh women weren't looked at as the other gender i i have seen it go up and down i pray that it goes back up for women women have a place in everything everywhere any music genre any set of people any industry that denies that are not doing themselves a favor uh there, this will change. That's not good enough. So let's all just wait and be patient. That's not what I mean. Uh, a friend of mine started Song Suffragettes, and I respect that to high heaven. And that's a step in doing something exposure-wise. You know? And for CMT to announce, we're going to create some... Some equality here. Good for them. I wish, I often wished I still ran CMT, but it's probably in better hands right where it is. Uh, But I I would love to see the industry, and it has tried some things. Uh, Sarah Traherne at CMA's, the things she did on last year's CMA show, good effort to put three notable women as the host and probably didn't make Brad real happy, but you know, so be it. it he's a big boy, he'll, he'll deal with it. But I respect the people that are trying to do something. Uh, I would love to say our company LBK is trying to do something.
1: The fact that you're not one of the companies that says we can't sign a woman because we already have one <laughs> is means you're doing something.
2: I used to run radio stations. I used to run TV stations. I get it. I get ratings. I get the endless hours of what does and doesn't make people, and I'm talking old school here, push the button on their car radio on the way home. I, I get it. I, I've heard all of that. It's business. It's we have to please our audience. Okay, there's a hundred ways to try to please your audience. And, you know, I I could get on my high horse and say a whole bunch of things, but there's a lot of music that's not seeing the light of day that you could feel in your soul. Maybe we need more outlets. Maybe we need, you know, focused outlets. Give the audience a chance to show... And I don't want to put down any version of any music. It goes up and down. But I think bro country, if you would, created a little bit of where we are. I think bro country did not give females an opportunity to compete. And radio took that and ran with it.
0: I think that's a really good point. I just want to touch on something um that you mentioned a little bit and emma also kind of roundabout brought up which is a lot of ways that you can champion women is just by treating them as people and as equals not focusing on their gender and i think that's one of my favorite parts about how you all function as a team and as individuals when i first met emma the first time we wrote and became friends was right around the time y'all were getting ready to sign um, a little before that. And I just remember hearing all these wonderful things about how much you and the entire team were just kind and giving and ready to lend an ear or give help when you could. And I knew immediately that I would like these people, whoever they were. And then the first time that I think you and I, Carl, ever got to really have a conversation, we were at a show at City Winery and I, showed up and the seat I was sitting in was next to you and we said hello whatever and um, everyone kind of ordered had ordered food I had eaten beforehand wasn't super hungry and you offered me some of your shrimp and grits and I was like oh that's so nice thank you so much but I'm okay I'm 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 good I already ate and you were like no 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 please y'all I really wanted shrimp and grits and Carl knew it in his heart and he would wouldn't take no for an answer and he Asked the waiter to just bring me a plate. He was like, no, no, I'm not taking over no an answer or something like that. And to me, that is just such a funny, human, normal thing that like you as a human being just made me feel so at home. And sometimes in this industry, it can feel very like othering the creatives and the business side. All that roundabout is to say that I love how so much of what you do is not based on categorizing people, but it's just human beings and who you like, who you get along with, whose talent you believe in. Um, And Emma, I'm wondering if you can talk about as a woman in the industry, as a writer, as an artist, as just a creator, what are some things about the way this team works with you and champions you um, that really empowered you and gave you confidence to step into a new section of your career and creativity
3: uh they just know that i have different dimensions and that's i don't know they, they don't make me shrink myself emotionally or creatively they are real with me as far as this part of a song could be stronger but guess what when i signed a deal i knew i was gonna have a team that was gonna speak to me in ways that would be make me grow. And that's another big thing too. Like I trust their intentions with me because of the time that they invested in me early on.
1: So Emma, what advice would you give to other creatives who are looking for the right team? What would you say to people? I would say
3: it is okay to expect your team to respect you. Like people act like respect is something that oh, wow, like this person respects me. It's like a shock or a celebration. Like it's a bonus. Yeah. But like, honestly, that's the minimum. Someone once told me they don't bet on ideas. They bet on people. Meaning like, so my idea for myself and my career is like to sign a publishing deal. But this company who I felt like they didn't get me or they weren't, like, talking to me in a respectful way, like, they have the idea that I want, but I wouldn't bet on them. Does that make sense? And trusting that I've always had a belief deep down that my people will find me, and and they did.
0: And what about you, Carl? Do you have any advice for creatives on their journey, and also for teams on the business side when they look to sign and develop and work with creatives?
2: Well, if a songwriter walks in here to meet with us or walks in any other room to meet with people, when you walk in the room, be yourself. Don't be what you think somebody wants to hear, or at least don't be a a majority of how you act to be like what you think they want.
3: And sorry to jump in, but like, how would you know where you really belong if you aren't your full self? Like,
0: how would you know who really accepts you? I think it's really big to pay attention to how your body viscerally acts to people.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: I've been in rooms and meetings with people who were really big, great resumes. They had people signed to them that I just adored. And my body just did not feel comfortable energetically whatever it was it just didn't match up and i i know that as cool as they are and as cool as it would sound to be with a team like that it's just not right and they knew it from that side too and i've also been in rooms with people that i really expected to be super nervous around that i i couldn't have cared less and i'm immediately sarcastic and um you never know so pay attention to whatever it is, your gut, your body, intuition, whatever, pay attention to how that feels.
2: Sarah, you made me think of something sort of on the same track, maybe a little different, but anytime I'm talking to somebody that might join our staff, one thing I'll talk to them about in this business, I don't believe in starstruck. It's not flattering. That's not to be disrespectful, you know, uh, I'll I'll pick a name. If Taylor Swift walks in and sits down, hopefully everybody here would treat her the same as if Jane Doe walks in. Now, that's not realistic per se, but be 99% of that realistic. It's literally, disrespectful in my opinion to be starstruck it makes the meeting hard and unuseful so if you're a young songwriter and you're walking in a room to talk to Ashley Gourley about a pub deal he's a songwriter just like you are
1: remember the human in them and relate to the human in them so we do our rapid fire first question is who is your favorite creator at the moment music or non-music related.
3: I love Jay Shetty. His quotes on Instagram are bomb. And I have his book called Think Like a Monk, but I haven't started it yet.
2: Chris Christofferson is my, been lucky enough to spend some time with Chris. I love Chris. I love his songwriting. We, We did a documentary on Chris and got to interview him. If you want something more current, I think I would throw Louis Capaldi on the table he is a really good writer he is absolutely out of the music world crazy on social media he, you know talk about being yourself him. you know but he's written some songs that are just like how did the guy just watch this funny video of write that song he, he's intriguing to me you know, uh, Sarah, I get to hear your music. You inspired me. I, that song you all were talking about the other day, though. I
0: was listening to that before this.
2: Well, uh, the next day after you all wrote that and played it for me, a bunch of people walked in here for a meeting, the other part of my life of consulting in the music business. And normal mo i'm in nashville so everything's country music do you ever do anything that's not country music and a little bit slapstick i said well here's a song that a couple of people wrote yesterday in the room next door and i played that song for them and they were all just like <laughs> <laughs> I but, didn't know that. Yeah, it's the opposite of country music. Let's put it that way.
0: I always joke I'm slowly bringing Emma to the dark side. Sync is so fun. I'm so happy to be writing some with you. Um, what is your favorite trend currently? Baby Yoda memes. <laughs> she was ready. I love it.
2: I think country music is turning a corner. That's my favorite trend right now. It It inspires me to think we can get back to real storytelling
1: maybe related to that answer uh what trend do you wish would stop a trend i wish would stop is uh
3: instagram reels i don't like how you have to like start them over i wish it would just not be there
2: well not just because this may be an answer you would like at all but i wish the complete disparity between women in music would stop uh, and that's not just because of the podcast I'm on that's not my point but it just it, it, I, I don't like it
1: change is long overdue in that department yes uh, what about the last time you failed uh,
3: well I submitted a song that I co-wrote a couple weeks ago and Uh, People on our team said that they didn't like the bridge, so I rewrote
1: the bridge today. Failure and recovery. That's good. What about you, Carl? When's the last time you failed?
2: (laughs) Not to give you a a too philosophical an answer, I I don't think I usually see things that way. If you try something with the right intent and it doesn't work, you're going to learn a lot of things and it's going to open some other door. Again, not to be too philosophical, but... You know, I I don't I don't see things as succeed and fail. It's we're all on a journey. It's this, is, especially in the music business, is the old cliche. This is not a sprint; it's a marathon. I probably meet the definition of failure at least as much as others, if not multiple more, because I'm all the time out on the edge doing something different. You know, uh, we did a big music festival in Fort Lauderdale a few years ago and lost a lot of money. It was a great experience, learned a lot, opened a lot of doors. I had people come in here and say, that's what people ought to be doing. Well, my financial side of my life said that was a failure. No, actually, it had some door opening fabulous things that it created so is that a failure well if i'm talking to my cfo she's going to tell me that qualifies as a failure yeah but somebody really important in my life happened during that music festival she and i stood in the rain and had a fight for two hours in the middle of that music festival it was the most eye-opening, rewarding thing. And Emma, Emma has heard this story. I see everything like a puzzle. I want to see the picture on the front of the box, and then I'll start looking at all the pieces.
1: We've got one final question. So if you could go back in time and visit yourself at any point to give yourself some advice, what would you say? There was a point
3: where... I, I didn't feel super hopeful about my career and I would just go to myself and tell myself it's going to work out, it's going to take a little longer, but it's going to work out and just relieve that discomfort in that moment.
2: I tell people if we're having a real conversation, I don't feel like I've had any maturity till I was 35 years old. But of course I knew everything before then. Typical guy, I'll say. If I could go back and tell myself at any number in the 20 category, pay attention. How many learning opportunities did I miss to be a good listener and to try try to be a little more mature a year or two or three or 10 earlier? Quit racing cars and risking your life. And you
0: say that now, but I know you're still a speed demon. <laughs> I just want to say that Carl jokingly offered, or well, not so jokingly, offered to teach me to drive. Um, you heard that correctly. I don't have my license, and I can very honestly say that when he made that offer, every single person in the office collectively screamed, "No!" <laughs>
2: <laughs> None of them work here anymore. <laughs>
1: Oh, uh, well, thank you guys so much for being a part of this. It was really fun talking with you. And thanks for lending us your perspectives tonight. We really enjoyed it. We appreciate your time. Thank you, too. Thank
2: you for having us. Enjoyed talking with you.
1: To stay up to date on all things The Table on social media, join us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at the handle at women.
0: Our theme song Stop You is written and performed by yours truly, Sarah DeFors, co-written by Taylor Foley and Will Macbeth,
1: and produced by Will Macbeth. And as always, we'll include links to any creatives, music, television, etc., referenced in this episode in the episode notes.
0: We'll see you next time on the, the table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think, and don't let stop. You. stop you. Don't, don't
2: let stop. Stop you. Don't let Slap you